So, Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray tonight that these words that I speak would not be my own, Lord, but rather would be yours. I pray, Lord, for the people here that you would please touch their hearts, that you would make them receptive to your gospel, Lord, that everything we learn, Lord, would touch them and that they would apply to their lives. Lord, we praise you for your word, which we can speak so freely, Lord, which we should speak boldly as we are going to see tonight. So I pray, Lord, that you would please be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know uh, if you know this about me, but I, uh, I work in a school um, as a caretaker. But part of my job is I have to look after kids at lunchtime. Now, this isn't really a big school, and there's only about 96 pupils in it. But a lot of the kids, uh, not a lot of them, some of them, about 10% of them have some form of autism. And there's one particular child, and he, his autism is quite bad. And every lunchtime, he has to sit at the same table in the same spot. And his chair has to be the same color. And if I don't put that, the right color in the right spot and put him right there, he will go berserk. And there are a few instances where he has actually went and he's grabbed the chair and he's flung it. And thankfully, I've been able to catch it before it knocks out a teacher. Um, but I'm always amazed just really at how well the principal and a certain classroom assistant can actually deal with them. What they do is they change his focus onto something else and then they explain what he should do in that situation. And similarly with Paul in Colossians, Paul shifts their attention to what they should be doing. He explains what has happened before and because of Christ's death, how it will affect them. Then right at the end of the passage, or the end of the book, he leaves them with what they should be doing. Gospel work. He is essentially discipling them. This is discipleship. Now you're going to have to forgive me. I have been a Sunday school teacher for too long. And then whenever you're in Sunday school, you tend to go over things. Because repetition is the best way to learn. So before we start, I'm just going to quickly go over the book of Colossians just to help us a wee bit. Um, so this is a letter from Paul. Paul is writing to this church. The church was planted by Epaphras. Um, and some false teachers had come into the church. And they were saying, Jesus, yes, brilliant. But you also need this other stuff as well. You have to follow, if you want to be a Christian, you have to follow these certain rules. You have to follow these certain festivals. So Paul writes to this church that he has heard about to set them on the right path again. He starts by reminding them of the gospel they believed. Then from uh, comes chapters 2, verse 6 and 7. He says, Just as you have received Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, being built up and strengthened in the faith. And as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Then he explains, because of... Um, then he explains in verse 5, he says, because of this, do not be deceived by teachings. Um, because we don't need anything else. All we need is in Christ. It is because all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And we have the fullness given in Christ. So as the phrase that you have been learning goes, Christ is the way into the faith and Christ is the way on. Um, so therefore, rather than following all these rules, don't taste, don't touch. It's about an inward change. You've been raised with Christ. Set your minds on things above. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Or take off the old football kit, your earthly nature, 
and put on the new kit of Christ. And this will then affect our relationships and how we conduct ourselves. So then finally we get to chapter 4, where Paul begins to wind down the letter and we get these greetings and instructions. And as Brian was saying, at first glance, it really just looks like Paul's went, oh, a couple of wee scribbles, I forgot to say that. But really, there is a structure in this last chapter. Paul is not going to leave this church to go out on their own. Rather, he disciples them for gospel work. And he starts with the most fundamental place. So if you're taking notes um, and you want a point, the first point is prayer. Verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being thankful, being watchful and thankful. I think the NIV doesn't really do that word justice. Um, the ESV says um, a little bit better. It says continue steadfastly. But the word devote here actually means to attend constantly. But why do we have to attend constantly to prayer? Because it's hard. Paul is saying here that prayer is hard and that we must work at it. In verse 12 of chapter 4, Paul says, A prophet is wrestling always in prayer. The Greek word for, for wrestling, and I'm not going to pronounce it, is the word to, for, that we have for agonize. Paul is agonizing in prayer for this church. That's why Paul says in verse 13, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. Now, if I'm really honest, I find prayer really difficult. There are times I really, really struggle to pray. I struggle to keep my mind focused. I struggle to have the right words. Am I praying for the right thing? And out of temptation, I'm tempted just to, well, pack it in for the day, try again tomorrow. But then when I was studying this, I realized that Paul was saying that prayer was hard. Not only that, the Apostle Paul is saying that he finds prayer hard. And his fellow workers in the gospel. So there's not just something wrong with me. I haven't just got it wrong. Others struggle in prayer. But we can't use this as an excuse not to pray. No, it means we have to work harder at it. Um, I remember I was diagnosed with dyslexia when I was 14. And the one thing that sticks out for me is my mother saying to me, um, you know, this is not an excuse for you not to work. You, know, you have to work harder. And now that we know this about prayer, it's not that we, this is an excuse for us to go, well, it, it's hard, so I don't have to do it. I know it's hard. No, this is, okay, so now I, I know I have to work at it. Whenever those hard times come, whenever we can't focus, whenever we're tired, no. You have to work at it. You have to stick at it. Um, so if you're not a morning person, don't pray in the morning time. I am really not a morning person. If you come... <laughs> If you come to me and you get a grunt, you will be lucky. That's me being nice. But during my day, I have like a split where I, uh, I would do a wee bit of work and then I have an hour and a half off and then I, I work again. And that's when I try to do my prayer because that's when I'm most awake. That's when I'm most alert. I've already got myself into work mode and I'm ready to go. And we as well need to do that with prayer. We need to find the best time for us to do it because prayer is vital and it is joyful. But verse 2, Paul also says something about prayer. It says we need to be watchful in prayer. But what do we be watchful for? 
well, we need to think back. Again, that's why I went, went through that again. I know it was very quick. But he says in chapter 2, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceitful philosophies. It's so easy for false teachers to come into the church. And it always comes in small ways. Quite often it's some small little add-on, some small change to God's word. With the Colossians, it was, yes, yes, Jesus is great, but you also need to do these things as well. You know, they, they, they preach Christ crucified, but then they say, but you still need to do this as well. You're not a Christian if you don't do that. Um, we were very lucky this morning to have the Reverend Cameron Jones at St. Mark's, and he was talking about ICM, and one of the things that he was doing when he was preaching is he said that there are some people who believe that to be saved, you have to be fully baptized as an adult and then attend that denomination. Do you see that? They, he has said, they have said, yes, you have to be saved, but you also have to be this. If you want to be properly saved, you have to be baptized and attend this denomination. But that's not, that's not what the gospel says. That's not what Colossians has been saying. This is why prayer is important. We need God to help us to be watchful. And the word watchful means to be vigilant, to be on guard, to be alert. And we can't do that ourselves. We're sinful, so we need God to help us to do that. And I wonder, actually, if you think about the Church of Ireland at the minute, um, the church is in constant pressure to change the way they, they think about marriage. It's in constant pressure to just, you know, same-sex marriage. You know, the, the, I, I think, remember we were talking about it, that there was a... Um, Thank you. Yeah, Board of Social Responsibility has declared that, that maybe they sh we should have same-sex marriage in this. That is just a little little twist of God's word. But it is coming away. So that's why we need to be watchful because it is always the smallest of twists. But what else do we have to be watchful for? Well, Paul says in chapter 3, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Our hearts are naturally sinful and we need God's help to keep us on the right track. Galatians 5 verse 17 says, the sinful nature is in conflict with the spirit. When we are not vigilant, when we don't set our hearts on the things above, then these things associated with our earthly nature will start to creep back in. Quite often, when people start to fall away and they start to go back into their own old ways, what is the first thing that we often ask or we should ask? How's your prayer life? Um, Charles Spurgeon once said this, since you are tempted without ceasing, pray without ceasing. Or, in our case, contend, or constantly attend to it. But in, in verse 2, Paul also tells us to be thankful. In the commentary I read by Dick Lewis, he wrote, Prayer can no more exist without praise than true praise without prayer. The one fuels the other. The best way for us as Christians to become better, to become self-centered in our wants, in our thinking, in our prayers, especially in hard times, is to forget what God has done for us. We often think, focus on the things we want. We want out of a job we hate, or life hasn't worked out the way we want. A relationship hasn't worked out the way we thought it would. 
and we tend to focus on this. But praise and thanksgiving strips us of those attitudes and refocuses us on what is important. It reminds us of the goodness of God in our own life and helps us put to death our earthly nature. And then we move on to verse 3. Uh, and Paul continues with this theme of prayer, but he, he changes the subject. And again, if you're taking notes, point number two, um, proclamation, to proclaim. Verse three, at the same time, pray for us also that a door may be opened for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Do you, I don't know if you notice this. I didn't notice this till I started reading the commentaries, but um, there's a flip Paul does. At the start of the book, he is saying, I am praying for you. And now he is saying, now you have to pray for us. But now he says, uh, from verse 3 to 6, Paul moves into the area of gospel proclamation. As with our own life, prayer is vital for this, uh, prayer is vital for the spread of the gospel. Paul doesn't mean, in, sorry, I, I didn't read that out for you. I'll read that out for you. Um, Verses 3 to 6. Um, and pray for us too that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Now, Paul isn't actually talking about a physical door here. He's not saying that, that um, pray that God will open the cage door so that I can get out and then talk to people. He, he's talking about um, opening the door of people's hearts for, for the message. Also, it's not that somehow God needs our prayers so that he can open the door of people's hearts to hear the gospel preached. But rather, it is our privilege to joyfully be a part of God's work. God is giving us the task of telling his truth. But by praying to God that he would bring the people we talk to to faith, we are showing our trust in him and our dependence on his work. When we try to evangelize the people, and we don't pray that God would bring them to faith, we are in fact saying that whether we mean to it or not, that we don't need God to do this work. And it stops being God's work, but ours. Then hearts are not opened, and we don't bring anyone to the kingdom of God. But, uh, Paul also tells the Colossians to pray for him for that he may make the message clear, which is how he ought to. This message that Paul is, um, uh, is saying, that Paul is saying to make clear, he's not saying here that, um, that sometimes he gets his words muddled or sometimes that he um, you know, just can't get the, quite, the right tone out and, and everything becomes confusing. No, Paul is saying here that um, it's about being bold. We have seen in the book of Acts that Paul can stand up to the intellectual elite in Athens. And there are many accounts of him preaching the gospel clearly. No, I think this is something different. Look at the end of verse 3. Where is Paul? Paul is in prison. He is in chains. And the temptation for Paul is that he would stop preaching the gospel. Or at least even stop preaching it for a while. This might even get him out of prison. The temptation is there 
as Kevin DeYoung put it yesterday at the Irish Men's Convention, just to say it in a way where you dance around the issue so that you're not defend. Or in a way that seems like you're, you're agreeing when you're not actually agreeing with him. No, Paul says, pray that he would stand firm whatever the outcome. Pray that I would put, I would not put anything in front of the gospel message to make it less clear. Pray that I would speak that gospel so that it penetrates the listener's hearts like a double-edged sword. Pray, pray that I would speak how I ought to speak. If we do not tell people the truth of the gospel, if we don't explain it clearly to them, if we leave out the hard bits, how will they ever be saved? And to be honest, what good is a blunt gospel? I said before that I was a caretaker in a school, and um, it's actually an Irish language school. So um, it's fair to say that I'm the only Christian there. Um, and that is more blatantly obviously on Ash Wednesday, because I'm the only one with the Ash Cross on my forehead. Um, and the rest of the staff are Catholic and fully believe that you have to be a good person to get into heaven. And they have learnt this from their parents and grandparents who believe this. And some of them are actually now dead. So there's a huge temptation for me when I'm speaking to staff members and they're telling me this, not to tell them what the Church of Ireland believes, not to tell them what I believe. That is, you will never be good enough to get into heaven. That it is only by Christ's death that you have to be, as we would say, saved to get into heaven. But what good... But if I succumb, uh, if I, uh, succumb to that temptation, what good would it do? This is why Paul says we, must, we need to pray to God that he would help us to be bold. If you look at the book of Acts, after Peter and John come back from the Sanhedrin in chapter 4, they gather the church together and they pray in verse 29, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Paul makes another point here. He says that, may, that I may proclaim it clearly. We are to pray for our church leaders to proclaim the message clearly. Now let me ask you this. Do you pray for Brian? Do you pray for George? Do you pray that whenever they're in difficult situations, they will be faithful? That when they are pre preparing a sermon, and it's a hard passage, that they preach the, the text exactly the way it says? Do you pray for bishops? We have a lot of new bishops in the Church of Ireland, and they most definitely need our prayers. I am reminded as well, when I was looking at this, of Bishop Ken uh, Bill Love, the Bishop of Albany Diocese who is facing a lot of pressure to conform to what the rest of the Episcopal Church in the United States is teaching on human sexuality. It has come far from what the Bible actually says. We as a church family must pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, especially in leadership, that they would speak boldly the truth as they ought to. And then in verse 5, Paul ends his theme of prayer. But he continues along this theme of evangelism. And he says, be wise to the way you act towards outsiders. Um, when Jesus redeemed um, us to be a people for himself, we were to be holy and righteous. What this means is that when we receive Christ, when we, be, when we became a Christian, um, God started a work in us. 
as J.I. Uh, Packer puts it, it's the reintegration of our character, the rebuilding of our own. God is rebuilding us to be like the way we were before sin entered the world, where we were to display God's image. This will, at least it should, make a difference to those around us. People should be attracted to us. They should be attracted to our joy that we have in Christ. And they should see something different in us. Not by anything we do, but because of God's image displayed. Paul understands that out of this, people will see something different and they will want to know what it is. They will be attracted to it and they will want to know why we are different. The first time I ever went to Summer Madness, and Summer Madness isn't great for teaching, but this is a good um, time it was. It was the first time they ever went to Glenarm Castle. And um, the people of Glenarm loved this because they were getting all these kids coming into the shops and buying. The economy just shut up for that one weekend. And at the end of the weekend, there were three people came into to the grounds of Glenarm Castle. And they grabbed the first person they could see who had a visibility jest. And they said, I don't know what you guys are on, but I want some of it. Because every person we have met here, every Christian we have met, there's something different about them. There's a joy that they have. Their, their character is different. And so then they, they were brought and they were told the gospel. And they believed. Paul understands that this doesn't just happen in big events like Summer Madness. You see, our form of evangelism is different from Paul's. His is a, his is a deliberate evangelism. He goes with the express pers- uh, purpose of telling people about Jesus. Whereas our form of evangelism is reactionary. Opportunities come up in our daily lives to tell the gospel. This is why Paul says in, um, in verse 5, make the most of every opportunity. Like I said, I work in a school and... Um, I spend about 20 minutes cleaning a classroom every day and you're generally in that classroom by yourself with a teacher. So naturally conversation starts. And it's interesting, we're talking about the coronavirus um, because there's one teacher who is terrified of getting it. Why? Because she is terrified of death. And so we were having this conversation about death and the thought popped back into my mind about uh, something my dad used to say about my grandma James. And that was... He was a man that was not afraid to die. So I just, I just, I took the opportunity and I, I said this to her and she goes, what? That, that, that makes no sense. What, why is that? And I says, well, because he was a Christian. And, I, and then I was able to talk to her about Jesus. I told her about my other grandparents who had influence on me. How my, my uh, dad's mum, a week before she died, she, she um, sung, take, my, take me home, precious, take my hand, precious Lord. And that had an impact on her. And she's, why is that? Because she's a Christian. Because of the hope that she has in Christ. I was able to then tell her the gospel. This is how we as lay people are to tell the gospel. By reacting. When somebody asks us what you did at the weekend. What do you say? Not up to much. Or, or do you say, well I was at church and I learned this about Jesus. For me, naturally, on a Friday when you go into a classroom and the, the teacher says, well, Andrew, what are you going to do at the weekend? What am I going to say? 
not much, or I'm going to say, well, actually, I'm going to go home to my home church and I'm going to preach about Jesus. Now, what can happen is, as Saturday, as Friday, the conversation gets shut down. Oh, very good. Or it can happen with um, when I was doing Sunday school. One of the teachers said to me, what did you do over the weekend? Oh, I had Sunday school. You do Sunday school. And then I got to tell them about Jesus. I got to then explain that to them. So we are, we are to, um, these are ways that we can tell people about Jesus. We don't have to kick the door down and fire gospel tracks at them. As much fun as I think that would be. Um, <laughs> no, these are the wee ways that we can react and tell people the gospel. But God recognizes, and Paul recognizes, that sometimes we fail to display this image because we are sinful. So that is why that we are told to pray to God to help us to be watchful of ourselves. We are also told in verse 5, be wise to the way you act towards outsiders. Now, I have a friend who, who used to work in retail, and she worked with this guy who... Um, he owned his own business. And he claimed to be a Christian. But he was often very deceitful. He was often uh, quite cross and angry, and his, his language didn't say that. He often swim, swindled people out of money. And there were two people in the, um, who worked in the office who my friend was trying to convince them to come to church. And their answer to her was, what's the point in me going to church to become a Christian and he's supposed to be a Christian and he's acting just like everybody else. He's acting even worse than what I would act. This is why we need to take extra care in the way we act around those who aren't Christians. So when you are around your non-Christian friends, take extra care not to gossip or to slander. If you're driving in the car with somebody, be careful of road rage. Be careful not to get angry. Be careful not to snip at them. And my final point Tonight is partnership. Bar Romans, Colossians has the longest list of greetings in all Paul's letter. But why? Why does Paul take the time to go through all of these people that the Colossians have never met? To show them that they are not alone in this gospel work. Um, my mum used to have a shop in Lisbon. And... Uh, I used to help them run it. And this one day, what I was doing was it, was, it was quite a quiet morning, so I had my Bible, and I pulled it out to do a bit of reading, and the phone rang, so I closed the Bible up. And then as I was on the phone, some people came in, and they were just roaming about, and they looked, and they came over to buy something. And as it was a man and a woman, and the man came up to me, and he goes, do you know we're related? Now, my dad has relatives down in Lisbon, so I went, oh, really? So, so um, how are we related? And he goes, we have the same father. This is a man in his 60s, so I was thinking, I think you've got the wrong person. <laughs> you know? And he could see I was slightly confused, and I was like, mm. what I hadn't realized is I'd left my Bible on the counter, and he tapped it. And then I knew we, we had the same father. We had um, our heavenly father. As Christians, we have this unique bond with every other Christian around the world. We are a family of strangers, but we all have the common purpose, and that is to tell the message of Jesus to the lost. This morning, like I said, Cameron Jones was here, uh, and was in St. Mark's, uh, talking about his work, 
And we, me and Heather obviously know him. And we walked in and we got this big greeting and he said, how are you? And a big smile and a big hug. And I'm not recommended, you know, with the coronavirus. Um, and I got a handshake. And I immediately, I knew about his situation, about how, about us not being able to get a house. And I asked him, did you get a house? And he jumped up and he was excited and he said, yes, we've just signed it on. And I said, yep, well, great, fantastic man. I had been praying for you and Alex. Well, so that's all right. We sit down, service starts. And just before he's about to tell the sermon, he gets up and he says, you know, I want to say a big thank you to all for all your support. And then he said something that really hit me. He says, sometimes we feel like we're alone. We don't see a lot of, a lot of Christians. But then we come here and we hear that people have been praying for us. And then we're overjoyed. They're overjoyed with us when we got our house because they care about us and they care about our work. Gospel partnerships between churches are crucial to Christian work. We are to pray for one another like Epaphras wrestling with God so that our brothers and sisters would stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. We to send people out um, to our partners to help them and encourage them. Look at verse 7. Um, this guy, Tychicus, um, will tell you all about the news about, about me. Here's a dear brother and a faithful servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you with the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. I can remember when I was on the vestry here, um, I'm we were deciding to shift our focus from to have one or two gospel partners rather than just having a whole lot of people that we give to. We wanted to focus and to pray for two or three gospel partners. And there were some people on the vestry which were a wee bit funny about that. They would rather give, they thought we should give a little money to a lot rather than more to a few. But this isn't the way the Bible shows it. The Bible says is we are to have a partnership. So I want you to think, do you pray for the McLeans? Do you make a point of finding out what's going on with them so that you can pray for that specific thing? Or Gerald and Louise and St. Mark's. When they're here, do you go up to them and ask them how they're getting on and tell them that you're praying for them? As a church, do we see the need to send out people to help encourage? Or is it just not important to you? So as we end the book of Colossians, let's turn our attention to gospel work, constantly attending prayer, praying for our leaders, and for us to be bold, to speak the gospel clearly, and praying that God will open a door for our message, making the most of every opportunity and partnering with others in the gospel. But as I close, I want you to turn to the very end of, of Colossians. Do you see Paul's warning? Because gospel work is joyous. If you've ever had the opportunity to teach um, youth and you see that moment in their eyes when they get it, when you see that you connect the two dots together and their mind blows and they're so, when they become a Christian and they're so overfilled with joy, that is a joyous experience. But Paul says, see that? Remember my chains. Paul is saying, remember what has happened to me for the sake of the gospel. And he's saying, remember, if you do this, if you preach clearly, 
you will be persecuted too. We may mightn't go to prison, but we may be ridiculed. We may have our conversations cut short, as sometimes happens to me. That person may not want to really want to talk to you the rest of the day. But we, we do this because of our love for God and love for Christ and what he has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, for Jesus, for the great love, Lord, that he had, that he came down to die for us. I thank you, Lord, for your word that we are able to, um, to learn from it and, and we were able to know more about you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be constant in prayer, to work at it. I pray, Lord, that, that we would see that it is joyful, Lord, to wrestle with you like Jacob did. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to open the door, that you would open the doors for our message and that we would boldly proclaim it. In your name I pray. Amen.